This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, everyone. This is Angela Hall. Welcome to People Talk. Happy 2021. I know that many of my many of us, including myself, are very, very happy to see the end of 2020. I'm wishing everyone the best for 2021. I know a lot of us were happy to see the the taillights of uh, 2020 as it was driving off, and hopefully we'll all have a better year. So a lot of people were brought down by 2020. They were sad, they lost their jobs, we're living in a pandemic, they might have gotten COVID, um, a family member could have passed away or a friend from COVID. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about happiness this year, you know, being grateful, what makes us happy. Um, so that's going to be the focus of today. We're going to talk about happiness. Um, the importance of happiness. How does it affect workers? Are happy workers productive workers? And what overall it means to be happy. So I'm going to start off by talking about Maslow. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Most of you all probably heard of it. It's an old theory. It's not one of my favorites. It hasn't really been empirically validated, but it has really good intuitive appeal. So Maslow said that, you know, our needs that we have as human beings um, are, they're kind of a pyramid shape. At the bottom are our basic needs, food, shelter, water, even sex. Um, those are the basic needs. And then we have more higher order needs, like to be esteemed, uh, to have social belongingness. And then the highest one is self-actualization. I like to tell my students, we never reach self-actualizations. If we reached self-actualization, we should just explode, pop into a million pieces of confetti, ascend to the Godhead or whatever. We've done everything that we ever need to accomplish in life. Really, there's no purpose in, to go on. We've just done everything. So self-actualization is aspirational. So the reason why I don't like Maslow hierarchy is because we know that it, it doesn't pan out empirically and people don't necessarily follow that kind of logic. Best example I can give is the situation when I was in college. So I went to NYU and now that I'm a mom of a teen who's going to be going away to college for a few years, in a few years, I'm thinking, wow, wow, my baby being by herself in New York City, that'd be so scary. But it was a great school. I had a great experience. But, 
you know, I, I was living in New York City, taking care of myself um, during my college years. And one thing that um, I used to see every day, or a person I used to see every day was a homeless woman. And I'm ashamed to say that I have forgotten her name's name over the years, it's like 30 years ago, but I used to see her every day walking to class and she was always absolutely filthy and she didn't look like she ate right, but she had six or seven West Highland White Terriers, those cute little small fluffy dogs and they were sparkling white. And this woman had a wheelchair and she got this wheelchair for herself, right? Um, it was her wheelchair, but she used to push the dogs in it. And the little puppies used to stay there and just be so quiet. And she would eat before these dogs would eat. And I would know this because I would give her money. Sometimes I'd bring her, get, bring her food. And before I left New York for the last time, I, um, I emptied my bank account and gave her everything in it. Well, before you think I'm the most generous person in the world, I was an undergraduate and so I didn't have a lot of money. So it's probably less than $50, but I was worried uh, for her um, because, you know, I used to give her kind of, I used to give her money on a regular basis. But anyway, Maslow would say, hey, um, she wouldn't care about the dogs and take care of them unless she was taking care of her own needs. However, you saw that she, that social belongingness need was a lot higher for her. That's a higher order need than her physiological need, which was a lower order need. So yes, you can see sometimes Maslow's breakdown. And that's an extreme example. We all know people who they're not paying their rent, but yet they're going to go out and buy a new outfit or people who don't have a place of their own they're sleeping on people's couches, but they have a real fancy car and things like that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that Maslow isn't a good thing to, you know, it's a good framework on an intuitive sense, but it doesn't always do the best job of predicting human behavior. Why? People are complex and our happiness is driven by a lot of things. People will do things like, for example, starve themselves so that they can like, re or go on fast so they can reach some spiritual enlightenment or something like that. So we know that people always don't do the most pleasurable thing or do things that Maslow would anticipate because happiness is a complex thing. There are many, many different roads to it. So why should we care about um, happiness in the context of work or HR? Well, because there are a few things. We always think about as employers, a common term that's, that comes up a lot, especially in organizational research is job satisfaction. We want to, our, our, our employees satisfied. And, you know, a lot of employers were thinking about what can we do to make our employees happy? But it's being happy the best thing when you are an employer trying to think about how you want your employees. Well, you don't want them unhappy. Why don't you want unhappy workers? Mm, a lot of reasons. Um, it, they can create a toxic environment. 
people can start engaging in the acts of incivility, which can escalate or be perceived as acts of discrimination. Um, people can have their nasty attitude that um, clients or customers see, and that, um, you know, that can affect your business. Um, people are like, I'm not going to deal with that company anymore, or that organization, because these people are really, really rude. Um, it can affect things such that people will engage in what we like to call um, withdrawal behaviors. And withdrawal behaviors, there are two categories of withdrawal behaviors. They're the behaviors that are, um, that are considered to be physical withdrawal, and then there's psychological withdrawal. Physical withdrawal occurs when you just don't come to work on time or you just don't come to work. You really, really, really don't wanna be there. And so you'll find any excuse not to be there because your job is so like, um, like offensive to you or you just don't like it. Then there's the psychological withdrawal. And psychological withdrawal occurs when people are doing things like looking for another job or they're daydreaming or my favorite thing, they're on Facebook or YouTube looking at cat videos or puppy videos just to, to give their mind a break. But they're spending like an inordinate amount of time doing this because they feel like they need to separate from the work. Another thing is um, that I remember Sister Mary Eugene. Oh my gosh, Sister Mary Eugene. She was my first grade teacher at Our Lady of Hungry School in Chicago, which is no longer there. It's on the, it was on the South Side of Chicago. Sister Mary Eugene was mean. Oh my gosh, but she loved my brother. He was in the class, um, a few, was a few years ahead of me. And she always said that was a disappointment because she had him and then she had me. But anyway, Sister Mary Eugene, she was mean, but she was wise. And one of the things she would talk about is the notion of the social butterfly. The social butterfly is the person who goes from place to place, the kid who's talking to everybody, having a good time, doing things like that, but not doing their work. It's the same thing with employees. There are studies that have shown that the most, that the employees that rate that they're the happiest, quote unquote, are the ones who think of work as being a social exercise. You go to work to have fun with your buds or your budettes, and you are not looking at work as a thing that's actually work and that you have a job to be done. So in that kind of situation, um, we know that the happiest workers aren't the most productive workers. Also, we know that the workers who are the, um, the happiest are ne not necessarily the ones who are going to be the Doubting Thomas. So one of my favorite movies, if you know me, you know one of my favorite movies is World War Z. Because World War Z has two of my favorite things. It has Brad Pitt and it has zombies. I mean, like, how can it be any better when you have a combination of those two things? But anyway, I'm not going to reveal a lot of the movies in case you haven't seen it. It came out, you know, gosh, I don't know, long, you know, 10 or more years ago, probably. Um, zombies 
are taking over, right? There, there's a zombie infection. And in, I believe it's Israel, they have a, a, like a governmental body that's, you know, reviewing security. And they have this one guy and his job is to be the contrarian and to pose the most ridiculous thing ever as a way of keeping other people in check. And he said, you know what, this problem, this infection, whatever, zombies, this is the issue, zombies. And they're like zombies. And they're like, yeah. So they act on it like there are zombies and turns out there really are. So Israel for a period of time was more protected than the rest of the world. Well, that may sound ridiculous. And you know, we're not talking about zombie apocalypse and things like that. Even though with this pandemic, this seems kind of relevant. But anyway, um, we're saying that you have to have, if the, the happiest people, the people who wanna skip and hold hands at their job, those people are the, are the people who aren't gonna be the doubting Thomases, the people aren't gonna be devil's advocates. They're not gonna engage in that healthy level of conflict that you need to resolve, uh, I mean, to, to be able to uh, be innovative in order to uh, stave off problems or to anticipate problems. They're just gonna go along. So you want some level of, for lack of a better word, discontent, at least around some um, of your employees. And you don't want people to be willing to be okay with the status quo. You get stale, you don't uh, change and adapt with the times. And one of my favorite um, um, theories of management is something called population ecology. And population ecology says that Organizations that do not evolve, they get this from Darwin. Organizations that do not evolve and adapt, they die. You're born, you live, you die without adaptation. And so you need people who are always challenging the status quo so that you can adapt. So think about companies that didn't adapt and they're no longer there. Think about mm, Blockbuster Video, right? Um, before they were dominating the market. Now, like people my daughter's age who are teens, they're like, what's that? I've never even heard of Blockbuster, right? Um, so you need to be able to change. So does that mean that I'm saying that Angela is saying to you, you need to have your workers chained up in a dungeon and you're beating them and you are saying, come up with creative thoughts be a devil's advocate. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you should compensate your employees well. You should have a, a um, environment of inclusion, of respectfulness, and you should have an environment in which people can thrive. But to concentrate on employee happiness is not going to get you where you need to be. People, employees should be empowered, but more so than employee empowerment should be employee engagement. And what engagement means is that people are wanting to challenge. People are wanting to um, give it their all. Employees feel invested psychologically in their, um, in their work 
And those are the type of people that go the extra mile. Those are the people who engage in creative problem solving. Those are the people who are the change agents in the, in the um, organization. And sometimes even more importantly, they're the people who see the change coming and they can be proactive about being able to respond to um, opportunities and threats in the organizational environment. So how do you engage employees? You tie to the extent you can rewards to performance, rewards to performance. Now, I am being overly academic here, but I think there's 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 some some good some good research to talk about in some of these in some of these types of situations. Because you're going to say rewards, well that means money. Well, there have been studies including from from decades ago by a guy named Herzberg and all the way to now. Money is not a big motivator. Money is not a big motivator. It because you give someone money and it's never enough, right? Because what will happen is that if the only way you try to engage employees or motivate them is through money, it's like the money becomes an entitlement or it or it's motivating type of effect diminishes because it's like, okay, you well, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm expecting it. it's an entitlement or it's not enough. And so what you need to do is tie financial rewards to recognition. I, re I respect you. I'm giving you this, this, this merit increase as a sign of, I'm, of your contributions to the organization. And even if you don't have money for merit increases, like my employer, we didn't have merit increases um, this year because of the pandemic. What we did, but what, what you can do is you can recognize people. So, you know, badges, uh, small gifts, recognition ceremonies, or even the public, the public um, recognition that someone is doing well, that at a girl, at a boys have a lot more motivational effects than just sending, just um, juggling money in front of somebody's face or just wag wagging money in front of someone's face because the money over time loses its effect, especially if you do it routinely. I had a relative who worked for a company and every January they got the bonuses. They got big bonuses and the bonuses were tied on how well the organization did. It was a big organization. So they didn't really feel that their individual efforts led to um, an organizational performance. They just felt that the bonus was something was an entitlement. They got it every January and it, all it did was motivate them to not get fired in the previous 11 months, just not to get fired. It didn't motivate them to do a good job. And so if you're paying people like 10% bonuses, that's kind of a lot. So you could get more bang for your butt for, for doing something that's merit-based, uh, merit but on top of that, have the recognition and the appreciation Another way of keeping your employees engaged is to um, 
let them have participation in making decisions. Have them engage in something we like to call job crafting. Job crafting is a situation where employees get to do more of the tasks that they enjoy and what they're good at. And they segue into being experts in those area. And as a result, they give up doing some of the things that they don't like to do. That's another way to give people um, to get people more engaged. That's not to say that you are going to change the job so they only do 100% of the things that they just absolutely love doing. I'm not saying that. But rather, you have them craft their job. So there's a great organization in the Lansing area called Peckham. And um, one of the vice president of HR, um, my friend Stop, Stop, Scott Dursick passed away suddenly about a year and a half ago, but he had the coolest title. He was the VP of HR, but his title was the culture and people guy. And then like, I know they had people who had titles, things like, I don't know, like chief, like, like happiness person or coordinator and things like that. People, when they were able to give themselves these job titles, they felt engaged, they felt empowered, and, you know, they ended up, you know, excelling in those roles. So those are some things to think about doing. Um, Merit-based compensation tied to recognition, but also um, making sure that employees have the autonomy and empowerment and able to exercise their roles. I know the, the classic example is um, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, where um, for so long, um, it, employees, even rank and file, could spend up to $2,000 to make a, a guest have a wonderful type of experience. So that's a level of empowerment, even to like the lowest level employees. And the employees in that kind of situation feel engaged. And as a result, the customer benefits from that. They get the really good experience, okay? Um, but how about your own happiness? How do you get engaged? How do you um, work and, and, and enjoy your job? Well, let's flip the script. We're talking about employees that you may supervise. Let's talk about your own happiness. What are some things? Well, part of the things is to be able to disengage from work, have time to um, be able to refresh. In the United States, we do not take as much vacation as we're entitled to often. And so make sure that you have those regular breaks. Seek out social support, whether those be formal, um, you know, from your formal work relationships, like your coworkers, to people in professional organizations, to reaching out to friends and family, being disconnected, uh, from people we know is a, is a, a surefire way to um, fall into a cycle where you're becoming less and less engaged in the things you do, including work. Set, engage in goal setting. Um, and you don't have to say, well, um, my goals for this week are to run a marathon, 
write the next great American uh, novel and win a Nobel Prize. Those aren't realistic, but set short-term goals and long-term goals. Even set daily goals, monthly and yearly goals or goals for like every six months. And when you achieve those goals, you should have a, self, a sense of satisfaction that you're able to do those goals. Another thing that can make you feel happy with respect to work is to, once again, engage in job crafting to the extent that you can ask for those assignments and do those things that you want to be an expert in and to and in that way, try to mold your role to the role that fits your strengths. So I'm a person that doesn't like a lot of conflict. And you may say, hey, Angela, you're an attorney. How can you not like a conflict? Hey, I guess I was young when I went to law school. Maybe it was a mistake. I don't know. But anyway, um, I like roles then that I do at the university that involve things like student mentorship. I wouldn't want to be the person who had to be the uh, person who has to, you know, give people the hard news of, you know, I don't know, like, you know, you're, you're not making it, or I wouldn't want to have to do that every day. For example, I wouldn't want to have a job where my job is to fire people every day. That would be a downer for me. And so I know my strengths are like student mentoring and things like that. So I gravitate. So I'm doing like more of those types of roles. Another thing that you can do is realize that you're that you're more than your job. So there are studies done um, a couple of decades back, and it was showing that there is a high suicide rate among attorneys. And one of the reasons why there's a high suicide rate is because you think about an attorney, you think about he or she won that case, she lost that case. It's all about wins and loses. And people were getting very depressed when they didn't win cases and they were feeling like, hey, wow, this is a situation where, you know, I'm only as good as how I am as an attorney. Well, as an attorney, you don't have complete control over outcomes. And if you tie all of your identity in your work, that's surely fire way to feel unhappy because we all have successes and failures at our job. And so you should realize that, you know, the job is an important part of what I do. I want to be a contributor to my organization or whatever, but it's also just part of my life and a failure at work doesn't mean that I'm a failure in life. So that's important takeaway for people to have as they think about how to be happy. And then finally, having a balanced life. That's an extension of that. Just don't tie yourself up with work. You know, have those relationships with other people, join clubs, have a hobby, get a pet. As I'm recording this podcast, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's, I've got so many pets. Hopefully no one's starting to bark. And, but I get enjoyment out of that. I get enjoyment out of these pets. So think about for 2021, how you are going to be happy and how you're going to set up situations where even if your employees are not the most, are not the happiest people in their jobs, because, you know, they want to, to uh, spark some change, that they are engaged and that they feel 
uh, valued and they feel that they're a part of the team in an inclusive environment. Well, that's all I have for this week of People Talk. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me, Angela Hall as at athall at msu.edu. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.